Gentlemen, it's good to be with you again tonight. It's been a it's been a minute. It it has been a minute, and I feel like if um oh who is the who's the smoking the bandit guy? Not Burt Jerry Reed. Yeah, I feel like if Jerry Reed were, were here, he would say the prodigal son returns. Son. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan is with w- us. Welcome back, Brad. Yeah, dude. Uh, Sixty days tomorrow since I last had an alcoholic beverage. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. You look like you've uh, healthed up a little bit. Twelve pounds worth. Good. Yeah. Fine. Fine work. Yeah. I was five foot ten and one hundred and twenty-eight pounds. Yeah, that was. Which, if you're listening at home, uh, do the math on it. It's two thin. Just too thin. He was I'm, almost two-dimensional. I am slightly less uh, gaunt and or wan. Drawn is the word that I like to use. Drawn. Drawn. Um, yeah, we are, with, we are down Shane tonight. We are down Shane. We're shameless. Uh, but, I'm going to pass but, up the Garth Brooks. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but we've, we've, uh, we've secretly replaced Shane with Ryan. Let's see if anybody notices. Yeah. yeah it's Ryan Crystals. Right. Now it's riddle my porn name. But I'm not sure why that is. <laughs> just so weird. Oh, this show's off to a great start. Fellas. It is off to a great start. Yeah, so lots have been going on. Um, you know, since uh, since we last spoke to you guys, South by Southwest has come and gone. Every year, I think the same thing, which is like, I know what this is. I'm going to manage it. It's just no managing that no. shenanigans. No, and then you went, end up here three weeks after, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, no, it's like, and it's difficult. I, it is one of those things where it's kind of difficult to explain to people who haven't been here and been through the ringer yeah. that it's like you come out on the other side, and like even if you just are okay with you know, there's no FOMO. Like, it's fine. There are 10 other great things going on right now. I don't mind missing. Uh, still, it's just, there's just an elevated level of hassle that happens all the time. And I'm sure that, you know, well, if you I was even scaled down a little bit this year. That's for what I hear. It was, I will say that it w- it felt in some ways more manageable, but still, it's like, there's, it's still a little bit of a grind. And anyway, um, right. it was fun. We had a good show this year. Yeah. Uh, 20 uh, by 2. Uh, yeah. 20 by Let's 2 was great. Let's talk about all that on the other side. Yeah, all right. What do you say? Let's kick this thing off. All right, I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. I'm Mark. This is Somebody Likes It. Hey, so uh, apparently... Uh, Rolling Stone put out a uh, article today that music is finally making more money as of now than it was in 2007. Thank God. I know our long is national it all nightmare. Concentrated in Spotify. I mean, I'm sure that that's you know that's part of the model, but um, yeah, there's a latest annual review that came out by the International Federation of the Phonographic Industry, which don't read that word wrong. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, it said that uh, finds that nineteen point one billion was earned in twenty eighteen, nearly half forty seven percent or eight point nine billion came from ad supported and subscription music streaming services. So yeah, I'm sure yeah. Spotify is a big, big part chunk. of that. Yeah, yeah. well, that's Which good is, to hear though because there's been a lot of news in recent years that that those channels weren't necessarily very profitable for the music industry. Well, and I don't think they're that not that's, profitable for the artists. They're not. Yeah, I don't think that that part is fixed yet. It does sound like it is. It is at least um, it's there. There are discussions happening. So yeah. who knows? We'll we'll find out, Ryan. So you're you're back. It's true. You're looking you're looking good, man. You look better. 
Yeah, did a week in detox and then a month in rehab, and uh, good times were had. Uh, my phone's gone off, putting that away. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a whole new life, you know. I mean, not all that new. I'm still here. On a dissimilar note, we're going to talk about a record tonight that came out in 1999 um, from an act who was, uh, at that time, trying to, uh, you know, well, not exactly the same thing, but uh, rehab their career, like, which is a weird thing to say because their first several albums were critically acclaimed. Yeah, I remember, I remember like seeing them or, or hearing something on like a CMJ compilation before this. And th- here's how much I know about like R&B and hip hop. And should we, we should probably say tonight we're going to talk about the Roots record, Things Fall Apart, which recently had a, a, a big anniversary. So That is true. Yeah. They, they reissued it, as I recall. But yes. this, here's how much I know about R&B and hip hop. I used to get uh, Black Eyed Peas and the Roots mixed up. And oh yeah, they're really not all that similar. They're not all that similar, and it would probably really offend the roots that. Uh, oh, I think it would. Yeah. Uh, now, now <laughs> I can distinguish the two. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I would, I would feel slighted if I were them. Yeah. Anyway, well, I was telling Kevin on the way here that I actually had never heard of the roots until Jimmy Kimmel. So, so we're just going to try and you white bread up Jimmy this Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, yeah. one of the Jimmys. One of the one of the late night Jimmys. Yeah. That's how much I know about the roots. I don't even know what Jimmy they're on. So it's true. Uh, well, let's. You, I guess you got your learn on. I did. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, I guess the point is, is that um, that uh, when the was it the twentieth anniversary of this album rolled around a few weeks ago, um, there were lots of uh, sort of articles and platitudes that popped up and um, discussion points and the and the roots themselves have ha, themselves have recognized it as a you know as really a turning point for that act but it was really there were a couple of things I thought were re- pretty fascinating from the get-go which was like by the time that they went in the studio to try or like by the time that they started trying to put this record together they'd been scattered a little bit they were working on other projects um, and it wasn't like the roots had broken up, but they were kind of at this place where, according to Questlove, they were selling something like 400,000 units, uh, like an album, which is a respectable yeah, amount. Enough so you don't have to have a day job, but you're, right. not, you're not buying a mansion in Beverly Hills. Right. And um, unfortunately, they were all in Philly, but still. It'd be really inconvenient. It would be very inconvenient. It'd be a long commute. So. Um, so yeah, so that so there was that, but they were like, it, it sounded like like part of the reputation of this band. And it's weird to say because it's positive, but they kind of talk about it like it's a pejorative. Was that they were the reliable act that you would call when another hip hop act would flake out? So it's like Wu Tang fuck something up, and they'd be like uh, on a tour in Europe, and they'd be like, oh, call the Roots, they can step in, and like, and they did, and they would go, and they would show up, and they would do these great shows. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, like they just couldn't break through to a mainstream audience in a way that was really resonant. And, and they had kind of set this, you know, I think that they, had, it sounded like they had t- sort of set this goal for themselves where they really wanted to like go from 400,000 units to a, to a platinum record. 
And so, well, they eventually did this. I, I think which it, it went gold we'll initially, there. and then it took like another ten years for it went platinum. Yeah, it actually went platinum fourteen years after it uh, okay. came out, which I thought was also kind of funny because, you know, we've I have spent a lot of time, like at least giving some thought to some other acts, which we won't get into. It's sort of not important, but who like get to a similar threshold, and they're like, if this next album doesn't do, you know, X Y Z, then we're going to call it quits. Well, the roots just weren't really wired that way. And there are a lot of those guys, but I was like, but, but the reliability thing they talked about, like it was a pejorative, like I mentioned, but I also think that that's why, that's why they're Jimmy Fallon's backing band. Yeah. They're like, reliable. They're reliable. They show yeah. up on time. They're like, like the like, utility like, guys of uh, the hip hop community. Ryan, you know, this, you probably both know this story, but I'm going to, it probably makes sense to share it uh, given the context of tonight's show. Uh, the time that I made the roots uncomfortable. Ten years ago, I was in uh, I was in New York uh, with Allison, and we were there for several days, and uh, decided to take in. We got tickets to go see Fallon's original late night show. The opener, very funny guy, whose name I of course totally don't remember. There are uh, there are kind of touchstones that they all have and usually uh one of them is who came here from farthest away and then someone will raise their hand and say where they came from and he'll pick the farthest one and then he'll, he'll riff on that for a while and then the other thing is who's having a birthday anyway it was right around the time of a birthday of mine and we just happened to be in new york for this trip and so it was allison and me and her best friend from when she used to live in the city and uh anyway they both pointed me out and of course, that guy started talking to me. So anyway, homeboy's giving me a hard time about not looking as old as I am at that it, during that segment. And uh, and I am I don't mind being in front of an audience, but I really don't like it if I'm being picked on. And it's like you sort of have to play along. And anyway, it's just sort of not the perfect scenario. Anyway, he leaves for a couple of minutes. He comes back and he's like, "Well, we were going to do a dance off." But it looks like we're not going to have time. And I'm like, oh, thank God, because if that guy called on me, I, I was like, it's just not going to happen. And uh, then he turns around, talks to somebody, and immediately turns back around. He's like, nope, we're doing it. So he points to me, and he points to this 27-year-old girl who's halfway down uh, the to the floor. So what happens is the roots start to play Fallon's intro music, and you have to dance to it. And the audience, by applause, tells you how you're doing. And if it sounds awkward, it is awkward as shit. Yeah. And there's really sort of nothing that you can do about it. And so, anyway, she does this. What I have since referred to as, like, virtual stripper pole type situation. And she looked very comfortable dancing in front of that. Twerking or something? A little. Like, yeah, like lots of, you know, hips and arms, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so... So that happens, and all the time I know that I've got to go next. And so my, I really had two, I had, had two options. One was I could legitimately dance in front of this entire room, which is the, I would have just soon like <laughs> eaten my own arm. Was it like two hundred people in, in a studio yeah, like about, that? Yeah, about yeah, give or take. Um, or I could go funny, and I was like, and they had, and they have these like, uh, like talk show stairs are like. They're shallower, they're like shorter than regular stairs and they're longer. And so anyway, I just ended up doing like a like a 
like a version of the robot if all the robot did was climb stairs <laughs> and the audience thought it was great and it totally weirded the roots out i looked over there and Questlove just had it like his like one eyebrow was a lot higher than the other one and the the warm-up comic was like i don't know what's happening what is happening what are you doing anyway i lost the dance-off but yeah. i won the crowd so we're going to talk today again about things fall apart like this show <laughs> yes, exactly. And to and to demonstrate it, yes, we're gonna have a meltdown. Yeah, on mic. No, um, you know, and it's and it is the the album was named uh, after the novel by, and I'm gonna totally punt this name too, uh, Shinua Achebe, which in turn was uh, named after a, poem or something. a line from the uh, the Second Coming by Yeats. So anyway, it was a uh, you know a wrinkle inside of a wrinkle inside of a wrinkle. William Butler Gates, I believe. No, the other one. Oh yes, Steve. Yeah. Steve. Chuck. Steve Chuck Yates. Yates. <laughs> Did I break the sound barrier? Chuck <laughs> <Yates>. <laughs> He's the one that, that yeah. and wrote some poetry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Busy dude. Versatile. He, yeah. He, Renaissance he, man. <laughs> he had he had a lot going on. Um. Anyway, there's uh, lots more to talk about, but I think we probably ought to spin one. I mean, we, yeah, I, we should. I've been spinning a yarn here. Um, how about um, oh, how about dynamite? Sounds dynamite. I Let's dig that one. Yeah, I do too. Let's play that one. All right. <laughs> of that track those guys riff on the word like essentially on the place where they're from a lot in fact the record that came out before this was Illadelph Half-Life so this is a, so it's a reworking of Philadelphia I'm it is assuming. it is a it's a cooler re like reimagined way of uh, of saying Philadelphia slightly cooler than saying H-Town for Houston slightly yeah yeah <laughs> anyway um, but yeah like so so tracks like that, like, and that's the other thing is like uh, Questlove's like percussive style, like that the idea that uh, that uh, I mean it's obviously it frankly is even more distinctive that he's on TV five days a week now, but um, but you can always you can tell right away that it's like that sort of uh, jet the jazz roots are showing. Oh yeah, like definitely. And some some heavy jazz guitar chords in there. Yeah. So I'm guessing what they do is play a lot of live instrumentation and then just sample it and 
play around with it. That that seems to be the impression I got over the course of the record. Yeah, I think there's some of that going on for sure. Wow. You know, and I and um, of course part of the deal was that they had started recording this in um, Philadelphia at uh, in Midtown Philly. There's a, a studio called Sigma where David Bowie recorded much of Young American. So they'd started working there, and then they ended up moving to um, once they had determined that the what the name of the this is one of those deals where it's like they actually determined what the name of the album was going to be before they started recording it which is you know generally speaking like doesn't happen that often i think for most of the records that we talk about mm -hmm. um anyway they moved to electric lady studios where of course hendrix had done mm -hmm. lots actually of work. Uh, well you're talking about in new york the one in greenwich village yeah yeah uh it was all nearing completion when he died he never actually recorded there. It was for oh, is that it, right? It was for him, and he died like a month or two before it opened. Okay, huh. well, yeah, the the article that I, I had read that. said it was made famous by Jimi Hendrix, but yeah, uh, but it, totally stands. That's how it got the name, and he was supposed to. Yeah, uh, had he lived, he would have. Yeah, harder to record under those circumstances. Once you're dead, yes, it is. Yeah. Anyway, but they ended up collaborating with you know on this record with everybody from D'Angelo to Most Def, Common, Erica Badu. Um, Jay Dilla, who at that time was still mostly known as JD. And uh, anyway, like it became this sort of big collective, which is like when you see that act now, again, like in, albeit in a homogenized setting on, on you know, TV, um, there are a lot of them. And it just seems like that's kind of the way that they roll. Like there are a lot of, like they like. Yeah, the, the impression I get is that uh, the roots are basically Questlove and Black Thought. Um, right, are like the core guys, and then like they add and subtract as as the years go by. Yeah, uh, people join and leave and and what have you. But like without those guys, like it's it's not the roots. Uh, Ever tell you that time that I sold a bunch of camping equipment to Erica Badu? <laughs> no, yeah, right. no. I like. I, I had a roommate who like sold uh, like I think it was sixteen hundred dollars worth of porn to Slash. Oh yeah, it's basically yeah. the same thing. Well, Is no, I, I actually sold her. A, <laughs> like, I actually sold her a tent and a sleeping bag and a bunch of other stuff, but uh, not not Can exactly you imagine the same as that, Like, and I mean, that would be of all the like. If you just said, "Okay, you got an hour, come up with everyone that you think would ever go camping," I would never say <laughs> Erica Butter. <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> yeah. that was exactly it. She came in and she says, "I've never been camping, and my friends want to take me camping. I don't know what to buy." What so to I do. sold her the most expensive stuff. Oh yeah, no. Nah. Well, she could afford it, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. No, you need a you need a lot of tent if you're That's Erica right. Badu. A lot of intent. And and well, that too, apparently. Yes. Um anyway, yeah, no, but it just sounds like you know, they were kind of they were teetering on the edge of like trying to trying to figure out what they were gonna be. And they had been this thing that was you know where it's it, it almost the impression that I get from some of the things that I read was that it almost sounds like they hadn't they weren't necessarily sabotaging their own success because if you're moving four hundred thousand units uh, an album, like that's by all yeah, by were, all intent, like successful. But uh, they were far from household names and kind of bubbling under, and right. this was kind of like their watershed moment. See, I I probably didn't like the record as much as you did. I, that was, there are several tracks on it that I do like, but it is a little jazzy for me. Uh, oh sure, and and some of them. Uh, the the vocal stylings remind me of slam poetry, which I just I can't get behind. But that's just like my a own. little 
a little uh, just kind of herky jerky kind yeah. of thing, and the music does that a little bit. But there's a few tracks a little that forced, I like a bit. maybe. Kind of like yeah. I, I, I don't know, just like you. I, I'm not there's a to do it. there's a uh, there is a. Um, I know. I think I know what you're talking about. Like with with some like certainly in its heyday with slam poetry in particular. Like there's a sort of not in a Pixies or Nirvana way. There's a loud soft yeah loud thing. It's, it's like a, a very a, unique uh, style of like uh, emphasizing certain things in a rhythmic way. Yes, it makes uh, Allison crazy. Like it, it does <laughs> me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I've got white yeah. people disease. Uh, yeah, I uh, guess uh, there's a lot of that going around. But but. Um, you know, like I, I, I do hear that. Like it totally, totally makes sense. I think for these guys, you know, to, back to what you were saying about what, you know, who the like kind of the, you know, what who the tent poles of the of the band are. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, those guys definitely are the, you know, the bodies around which the rest of the music rotates, right. and and like there is a there is a structure to it. Even though some there are some flourishes that sound like they're influenced by, by jazz. Well, and, and they bring in a lot of collaborators and stuff. Uh, and I will say that, like, I got through this record like three times, and, and I liked it more each time. But I could, I felt like it was more good for me than than I than I actually liked it. You know, like like quinoa is like a superfood, right? It's really good for you, but I think I'd rather eat barbecue. Yeah, yeah. And I kept going back to like <laughs> like public enemy like gets my blood going and stuff, you know? Yeah. And, oh and sure. It's, and it's, like it's a little naughty stuff, you know? Yeah. Well like public yeah. enemy is like political. It's like they want to grab you by the lapel and like make yeah. you stand up. But and also whatever. it's like, like their beats too and like they're right. kinda over the top and, and yeah. all that. And this is just like I feel like I should be wearing tweed sometimes. <laughs> well, Questlove, let to be let's be honest. If you wore the large clock, it would be right where the drums are. <laughs> right. That doesn't work for anybody. Maybe you could turn it into some sort of percussion. I He's like, know. I can keep time. I don't need that shit. But I really enjoy the jazz element to it. I mean, I, that, did, I did too. It but it pulls like, me in. Well, and it's like when if Shane were here, we would talk about, you know, we would talk about diggable planets, and we would talk about um, some of the other, uh, some of the other acts that are that specifically injected. East Coast intellectual. Hip hop from the nineties. Yeah, some of that, right? And so, and like, and all of, like much of which to this day is like totally revered. So, um, you know, it as a movement, really interesting. But I like the like obviously the the roots hadn't really carved out their own place until this record came came to pass. And um, and you know, as far as they go, like it's a little bit more um, political and direct than. Than their reputation oh, had been some going of, into some it. of the lyrics like bummed me out. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, I don't. What not the ones about quinoa? Not so much. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, just a lot of a lot of like you know, just talking about oppression and and what have you, and those are real issues. Okay, so to that end, like we ought to spend something else. Um, it's not. I mean, it's kind of a song, but I think that we should play a little bit of, of Act One. Um, because I feel yeah. like it sets up the rest of the record. We yeah, probably should play that one first, but I just like that other song a lot. So anyway, why don't we do a little bit of Act One, Things Fall Apart. And you are all... But we only come to see our own, man. Listen, listen. You know, if we, had to de- if we had to depend upon black people to eat, we would starve to death. Everybody, I mean, you've been out there. You look beyond the past. You look out into the audience. What do you see? You see Japanese. You see, you see West Germany. You see, you see, you see, you see, you see, you see 
know, slobobic, anything, but it, it's except our people, man, it makes no sense. It incenses me that our own people don't realize our own heritage, our own culture, this is our music. That's bullshit. Why? It's all bullshit. Everything, everything you just said is bullshit. You complaining about I'm talking about the people audience. never come. That's right. The people don't come because you grandiose motherfuckers don't play shit that they like. If you played the shit that they like, then the people would come. Simple as that. Inevitably, hip-hop records are treated as though they are disposable. They're not maximized as product, even. So, so Kevin's, Kevin's here doing calisthenics, uh, and Ryan's talking about hiding bodies in rugs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just as one does. As one does. Well, what was that uh, David Tell bit? I believe it was David Tell. It's like, you know, a, a good friend will help you move. A best friend will help you move a body. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The comedian's comedian. Yeah, that's right. Love me some David Tell. Um, no, there's a, there's a really great... So, so I wanted to play that first... Really, it's kind of almost more a clip than a song. But I feel like... I, and I mentioned this coming into that break like uh i feel i do feel like it kind of sets up the record and um it's also like i'm a little bit on the fence uh, hip-hop does this a lot where and it's certainly in this in this day and age where this record came out they kind of did this a lot where as a genre um you know there some of the samples are spoken word in this case you've got dialogue between two of the main characters in mo better blues that are um it's a Spike Lee joint. Spi- a Spike Lee joint, as it so were. It's, it's this is the characters played by Denzel Washington and Wesley Snipes. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so the so the Pitchfork review, which you'll be sh- uh, shocked to know, fawning. Uh, uh, I yeah. would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I know. Anyway, um, the guy that wrote this this piece said that uh, by the time this album came out, they had, and we talked a little uh, quite a bit about this already, that they had. Um, amassed a faithful cult following, but none of it had translated into mainstream success. They were selling more records and slowly moving beyond the, the dedicated base of jazz and traditional rap purists, but their career wasn't headed anywhere in particular. Um, reflecting these tensions, The Roots opened their fourth studio album, Things Fall Apart, with dialogue from a scene from Spike Lee's 1990 film, Mo' Better Blues, in which characters, uh, Bleak Gilliam and Shadow Henderson, played by Denzel Washington and Wesley Snipes, respectively, debate the state of jazz music. Gilliam doesn't want to sacrifice his creative vision to pander to crowds, and he thinks black people should come to his shows simply because he's making black art. That's bullshit, Henderson quips. The people don't come because your grandiose motherfuckers don't play shit that they like. The clips seem to acknowledge the Rouge reputation. They were too smart for their own good, too self-aware, and they were getting in their own way. It was as if, from the very beginning, the band sought to be misunderstood to find somewhere to hide from the mainstream. Wow. I, w- I will say this, and I don't mean to paraphrase, paraphrase, paraphrase <laughs> every uh, terrible A and R guy in history. I don't hear a single, uh, which is it, there this, is a single, and we'll play it on the other side of. The, well, no, I'm not saying there's not one, but I, it does sound more like a, you know, an, an album than it does like you know something that like a particular song jumps out at you that, that screams radio I don't play. I, I don't know about I, that. I think in I think in fairness to so like hearing what you're saying, Ryan, like I do think it's one of these that like bears repeat listening. There's a lot, like there's some intricacy that's at, at play here, but there's also there there definitely is a single. Yeah, like I mean, I um, I understand. I feel like I agree that things that it flows from one to the next, and 
it tells a story, but I do feel like there's some standouts here that. Oh, oh the other thing I thought, and uh, I don't know where you fall on, on this, Mark, but like uh, I really feel like uh, if I smoked weed, this record would really do it for me. Because I kind of uh, remember what be. that's like. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I really feel like if I just wanted to just like chill and, you know, hit the blunt. There's a know. lot of truth in this record. I yeah. think, I think in, I, a, in a roundabout way, I think that's what you're getting at. I think that uh, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, it seems like a record you could get lost in and exactly. it might be uh, further enabled by cannabis usage. Yes. Yeah. yes. There you go. Um, THC, as it were. Yeah. Anyway, they, they, this guy goes on to say, I'll just share this one last little bit because it made me think of something else. But. Basically, it says that they, before the release of this record, they had positioned themselves as a sort of remedy for the excesses of, of bad, the Bad Boys Empire, in which in, in which those days became an all too easy target for the backpacker set. And he uses it basically. Some of this sounds out of context, but basically, he does mention their satirical 1996 video for what they do off the previous record. Uh, where they mock the sort of rap video stereotypes pop- popularized by director Hype Williams. And I would just like to say that Hype Williams is the name that you, sh- you really have no choice but to be a director of rap videos. I think he's a producer also. Like, Well, of course. Yeah, yeah sure. He probably sells tickets. I'll, I'll, I'll First name Hype. Last name Williams. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I'd be willing to wager something that that's probably not on his birth certificate. Uh, <laughs> you know, hype Daniel Williams. I don't know. You never know. You never know. It's true. All right. Well, anyway, why don't we play? Uh, well, actually, we, so we need to go to the break. Yeah. Let's do let's, some middle stuff. Let's do the break and then we'll talk more about this record on All the right. other side. Break it. Cute. So here we are at what we affectionately call a, a few minutes with. Yep. Otherwise known as the intermission. Also that. Also that. Middle, middle of the show. And here we tend to pick on things from the past of music a lot. Or, or honor them. Yeah, yeah. honor. Yeah. Not pick on, but yeah, honor. Yeah. If you're Shane, you you look at it one way. If you're the rest of us, maybe a different way. Yeah. But we, we shine a spotlight on something, and whether it glistens or, <laughs> or melts under the heat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Depends Both on how... That, yeah, depends well, on how much plastic there is there. Sure. Sure, what's, sure. So what's going on here? So um, I finally got around to uh, watching 90% of the, the the Queen biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody. Which I still have not seen. I, I haven't yeah. seen it either. Our mother has seen it. She liked it. Um, she and I got to tell you, I, you know, I'm, I am a huge Queen fan. Yeah. Um, I... I have a huge appreciation for Freddie Mercury and and his, his voice. He could sing. He could sing. He could write music, and you know, um, you know, maybe not much of a stage presence though. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shrink, too bad. Shrinking Violet. The guy, yeah, yeah, that guy, one. <laughs> yeah. yeah they got, the guy really just he a little bit too introverted, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, the, for the stage. Yeah. 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 But. Um, but there is there is one moment in the film that that reminded me of this video that I'd like for us to look at today, and um, it definitely highlights a little bit of of Freddie's uh, 
introversion and and just the whole the whole band and how they they liked to to shrink from the spotlight as much as possible. Yeah. So. Is it a Queen song? Yes, it is a Queen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it actually is a Queen song. All right. Um, uh, so uh, I'd like to to look at the video and the song for "I Want to Break Free." Okay. So that's uh, Queen's "I Want to Break Free" music what video. Is, but what is it about? Like you're just having <laughs> a really hard time so sorting through the subtext. I haven't I haven't checked on this, you know, through the official internet yeah. source, which is Wikipedia. But, sure. Um, according to the biopic, this wasn't even Freddie Mercury's idea. The the, oh. the, oh, the dressing the and drag, dressing and drag and stuff. Yeah. If if I'm not mistaken, like uh, that's the video that some of their Fans kind of got clued in that uh, maybe Queen's not all straight. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, and there was a little bit of a backlash. Yeah, there was a backlash. And, and yeah, that MTV actually, I think, banned the video. Yeah. Right. I saw it on MTV at some point because that's the only way I would have seen it because I remember it. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you remember uh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I didn't remember so much of like the uh, interpretive dance Freddie Mercury unitard. Uh, that was amazing, wasn't it? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> the you know, lots of lots of people in unitards that roll on the floor and you just kind of scoot across them. Yeah, I guess uh Sia probably wasn't born yet. No. But, you know, maybe she's the progeny of one Definitely of them. took some inspiration from that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, there were a sale on unitards that day. <laughs> there were all those dudes. Yeah, they unitards. bought it. they cow, bought out the cow print unitards no cow, less. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's anyway. Not, that's a, as far as I'm of, concerned, kind of a lesser song in the Queen yeah, canon. Not one of their best. No, certainly not. This would have been around the same time as like Radio Gaga, I think. Mm, Do you remember that song? Might have been. I, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm not super clued in to the the whole um, timeline of of everything, but um, but I know that they went through a period of like the the disco revolution and and trying to to key into that. Um, a lot this, of bands did that. Uh, yeah. There's like a Grateful Dead song or two that was trying to sound disco. Uh, yeah, it was a thing when it was a thing until it wasn't. Yeah. But, but I mean, their whole thing, and, and the, the film definitely picks on this, is just that they never wanted to repeat anything. So they wanted to always be changing. And, and, yeah. Yeah, they, they wanted Evolving. to give give their fans something different. So this was definitely different. It's definitely different. Definitely different. Yeah. No, you know, I mean, it's a, and it's a decent track. I'm with you. Like, it's not probably one of and my yeah, favorite. Freddie Mercury songs, like, uh, vacuuming a house in drag. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Kept the mustache. I got to tell you, Roger, I didn't realize he was actually in drag there. I thought that was actually a woman. So 
you know. Yeah, he's pretty. Yeah, he's yeah, pretty. He's a pretty boy. Well, thanks for that, Woo. Mark. Yeah. You know, you're welcome. I'm I'm just sad that Shane w- wasn't here to appreciate no, it. No, Shane would have had an off-the-wall story to share. Probably, probably. That. Yeah, or listen. talked about how um, how uh, he spent a lot more time listening to Queen songs than the rest of us and uh, has an observation. Yeah, and he's probably listened to Queen actually vacuuming a house. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Hard yeah. to say. Hard to say. Uh, but I do think we should. Possibly not in a push-up bra, though. Probably not. Anyway. Probably not. Uh, yeah, we should probably segue back to, uh, Rootsville. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is going to be a nice, gentle uh, transition. <laughs> Just rip it off like a Band-Aid. Let's go. In 1997, before the sessions for Things Fall Apart began, drummer and, head and band leader Questlove was exploring new opportunities beyond the roots. So says this uh, Pitchfork article we've talked a little bit about. He says he was concerned, more concerned with recording D'Angelo's Voodoo or Commons Like Water for Chocolate than he was with his own group. It wasn't that he wanted to leave the roots necessarily, but still the outside projects created resentment among the band members who questioned his focus. And he said in his memoir that came out in 2003, good Lord. Um, anyway, he said... A little early, don't you think? Early, like, yeah, yeah ballsy. Um Anyway, he should have just called it what I'm doing now. But anyway, um, he said, in my head at the time, the notion of a Roots album was a distant third. Maybe it's here. No, sorry. It's 2013. That's more reasonable. Anyway, um, Mo Meta Blues is the name of the memoir. But he says he was spending time with voodoo engineer uh, Russell Elevato, learning new ways to manipulate sound to give his music a more granular, less studied feel. He wanted to be a heralded producer like DJ Premier, um, who we've talked about. Oh, what was that on? Uh, Gangstar? Gangstar, yeah. And uh, Jay Dilla, but his band's work felt remarkably clean, even sterile in comparison. And the best rap of that era had to feel at least a little gritty, though the Notorious B.I.G. was signed to Bad Boy. His 1997 album, Life After Death, had plenty of dark, violent narratives. With Wu-Tang Clan, their massive double album, uh, Wu-Tang Forever was full of woos- woozy street bangers courtesy of the group's production team, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there were some, like, you know, the drums felt a little dirty. They were doing some things to, like, street up. It is also, so so there's there's that battle that is coming into focus when they're trying to, when they're concepting and trying to put this together is that, like, that they have historically, before this record comes out, probably taken fewer chances it, it feels like to guys who are in the band. And then, as an interesting byproduct, you know, this record was, and we, we feel, we give a lot of back of the hand to the Grammys around here, but it was nominated for a Grammy. It lost. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, to uh, Eminem. Yeah. Yeah, to the Slim Shady stuff. So, anyway. Um, I have yeah, a higher were, opinion of Eminem than I think you do, but. Uh, no, I think he's talented. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, anyway, yeah, so, so there's a little bit of that background that goes into them trying to make this record something that didn't sound safe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it definitely takes chances. You know what, I've noticed a lot, well, and we haven't talked about this yet, and I don't know if you guys know, like, who's credited with the production on this? Is it just to the band? Because that, that to me was, like, kind of the star of the show. 
Well, I um, think it's uh, Questlove's got his fingerprints all over it. Like, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of like hence uh, the producer chatter, like musical like, beds that they would kind of like wrap over that they weren't necessarily congruous with, uh, but it still kind of worked. Uh, like, I almost feel like like the production is like the the extra uncredited member of the band, if that makes any sense. No, it's true, and you the way that you say that, I think, is kind of important, because it's not like we talk about production sometimes like it's an uninvited guest. Like, Well, sometimes, you know, like it can lessen the impact of a record or whatever, and sometimes, you know, typically people are trying, or at least if you're talking about, like, rock bands or whatever, right. uh, people try to get it, you know, like, really clean or punchy or whatever, and the most accurate representation of a band on their best day or something. But this is like, no, the production is like, uh, I mean, it's like an instrument. It's, you know, it's so manipulated throughout the record, you know, and the dynamic changes and and just introducing, you know, new sounds when you least expect them. Those layers that kind of, that nuance that would, the same thing that you were talking about in the first half of the show when you were like this, this is why this would be a good album to be high to. Mm-hmm. Like, it's oh, there, a I'm lot sure of you discover something new every time you listen to it. Yeah. Um, Mark, we were talking a little bit during the break about, um, you know, I think one of the things that's a tip off to the fact that this might not be, you know, your, 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 the record that had been ex- would have necessarily been expected from their fans was the cover art. What'd you find? So uh, originally, I guess I did, didn't realize this, but um, so there were um, five variant covers released with this originally. Which one was this? So this is the most m- the most recognized and and most common. Uh, image that was released and this is actually just uh, it looks like a riot or something so this is this is a um it, this is from the 1960s uh the image it was one that they found on corpus which is one of these image uh, right. uh services but uh so it's it's a 60s era image of police chasing two african-american teenagers in the bedstoy neighborhood of brooklyn um and Basically, art director Kenny Gravelis told uh, said that seeing real fear in the woman's face is very affecting. It feels unflinching and aggressive in its commentary on society, uh, and just you know. So I guess that's really all there really well, is. Well, there's about that, and then there's the idea that in the in the 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 book that this record is named after, the main the titular character in that story. Is this is somebody who who Questlove has come to refer to as a warrior who's who's lost, like lost mm-hmm. in his own land. So in that sense, like I definitely think that there is a sense of like the group trying to come in, like really come into focus and crystallize what they were all about or what they frankly wanted to be as an act. And so there is, in a sense, the impression that I get is that this, in many ways, feels like their first real step in becoming who they have, what, you know, their career trajectory yeah, is actually. Came. I yeah, will say this, they don't sound like they're trying out for The Tonight Show. Uh, no. No, oh, no. Record. no they yeah. you would not. If you listen to this, you would not go, you know where I bet these guys are going to be in 15 years? My parents' living room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, but it's also, I do think it's also like, I mean, if we and we went down the rabbit hole on on some of that stuff, it would be, the reason that the that there are that there are bands like the Roots who end up doing gigs like the Night Show is because 
there are so many talk shows. It's like you have to be, you have to be interesting and streetwise. It's like you can't pick a random like, you know, mostly accomplished trumpeter to mm. to lead your band in covers for thirty years. You got to do something more fun. No, it works. Like it, I probably wouldn't have. You know, they wouldn't have been my my first thought off the top of my head, but like, no, they they've made it work real well. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I think we had a, um, I think we should roll the single for the next track. What was the single? It's uh, you got me. There could track. The one that she guests on before she went camping. Before she, <laughs> before and she it, went. Oddly camping. enough, it doesn't say anything about that in Wikipedia, but. Yeah. So weird. Actually, what? When was this? Uh, nineteen ninety-eight. Yeah, this was before she went camping. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Okay. Twenty second, nineteen ninety nine, was when that single was released. Uh, it won uh, won a Grammy for best uh, rap performance by a duo or group in the year two thousand, and um, it was co written by a by a Philly musician named Jill Scott. Um, but the label didn't MCA didn't think that she was high profile enough, so they had Erica Badu re record. How do I um, know the, the name bridges? Jill Scott? Is she going to like stardom at some point? Um, uh, no, but they would. Um, I don't. I'm honestly don't know. But but she's credited. But she's credited as having co-written that song. And then when the Roots would go around and perform it on tour, they would bring her out to sing that version. And then they released like uh, the original version of this song with her voiceover instead of mm. Erica yeah, Badu. Instead of Erica Badu's. So anyway, just. You know, a little bit of uh, pulling back the curtain and the way that some of these things come together sometimes. Yeah, one of the terms that I kept seeing, uh, just doing a little bit of research I did for this record, was Neo Soul. And this right. song, I would put, I wouldn't say most of the record sounds like Neo Soul. but No, but there's that. Which I don't even here. know what that means, like Neo Soul circa 1998. It's like, it's like New something. Soul, Ryan. Is it like Jamiroquai or something? Yeah, or maybe. I don't know. Maxwell, wasn't that a guy? <laughs> wasn't that a guy? That was the yeah. name of his first record. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, you know, and and again, like that's the that is the it's the radio friendly version of, you know, dynamite. They were not playing on the same stations as they would play. You got me. Well, I should say that uh, we won't have time to listen to it, but I love adrenaline on this record. Yeah. Uh, that's the one that like really nailed it for me. But so those of you out there. Check that one out. Dial it up. Dial it up. 
All right. Um, who's got who's got uh, our our last track? Tonight? New song. That would be me. Uh, so, um, oh, Connor Oberst has a new project called oh, Bear Oblivion Community Center. Uh, that guy, he's prolific, and like when he when he nails what I don't love everything he does, but like I I heard this on our good old KUTX, and uh, Shazammed it, and sure enough, it was old uh, Connor from uh, where's he from Omaha. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's a song called Dylan Thomas, so why don't we listen to that? All right. Thomas by uh, Better Oblivion Community Center. A decent little trifle of a song. I do feel like in the video there was a narrative going on there that I couldn't quite follow. I don't know if uh, you guys picked up on that, but so I enjoyed it. I whatever will it was. say that, like, I like so Connor Oberst has always just kind of gotten under my skin. Like that, like I, I could just tell. good God, like just overwrought, self-important garbage that I had no interest in whatsoever. Do you feel the same way about Ryan Adams? Sure. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, certainly, like, <laughs> back in the read day, the news. Yeah. But uh, so, how much does Phoebe Bridgers like buffer that here? A lot. No, I actually really <laughs> liked that song. I thought it was great. Yeah, I well, it yeah. sounds like a, yeah, a, a like, song from a record you would pick. No, uh, totally. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's an and I'm I think Phoebe Bridgers is is a phenomenal rising talent that has already been. Did well you already know about her? Because I don't know anything about her. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, no, Shane, she, Shane's she, picked a song she, she, of hers, and she, and of course, while you were gone, um, we did the uh, the collaboration between for Boy, Jing, Boy Genius, the um, Phoebe Bridgers and oh, uh, Julian gonna, Baker. Yeah, Julian Baker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Lucy Dacus. I've seen them perform a, on one of the late night talk shows. Yeah. Anyway, she's Phoebe Bridgers is uh, a. Uh, uh, a delightful ingenue who writes really terrific music across ingenue the board. Ingenue is a good way to Definitely. put it. Yeah. I'm a fan. Yeah, I I too. And anyway, and I think of the two voices that were on that on that track, hers is really him. the one that kind of like he's a little down in the mix. Yeah, they they dial him down a little bit, as frankly it should be. Like yeah. that's the thing it's like and and I am admittedly I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good female lead and I'm a sucker for um tracks that like like where the lyrical content might be a little dark, but the presentation is a little bit summary. And I feel like that's got some of that going on. Uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And as far as the video goes, uh, 
old people, virtual reality headsets, and a lot of candles. Yeah. Right. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what ties all, all that old together. Old people that are representations of them in old age. Is that what it is? Or was it old yeah. people like well, the, living vicariously? The, the old as, woman as, had the same hair color as Phoebe Bridgers, so I okay. just assumed that. Well, somebody out there, go ahead and unpack that and let us know. Uh, message somebody at gmail.com. We'll be waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is, that's message somebody at gmail.com. I thought it, it sounded like you said mention somebody at gmail.com. Although you could, you know, well, that could be a thing. Can we get that too? Uh, we could try. We can we do mention somebody? Probably not now that we brought, <laughs> now that we, now that we brought it up. Um, anyway, this was a, this is a fun joint, y'all. This was, yeah. and, and thank you, Ryan. That was... Uh, Welcome back to the fold, Brad. Yeah, happy yeah. to be here. Good to have you. We're very happy to have you You here. sound like 12 pounds better. Well, I also sound like I'm stuffed up and have a cold, which is also true. That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah. But 12, ba- 12 pounds better sounds like a better. When we when we reconvene, hopefully Shane will be able to join us for that one. Um, uh, Ryan, you've got the record coming up next go round. Yeah. I'm you actually, know, it, I'm, well, I know I want to pick an Adam Ant record because I've been wanting to since ooh, we started this. Yes. Sure. And he's going out on tour uh, here pretty soon, and I believe it is uh oh well, there is a little music nugget that i they're gonna perform this particular it's one of the ones with it has uh one of the singles on it that i love uh and forgive me for go ahead and tell the story you're well i don't know did i tell this before because i think i knew about it the last time that we recorded which has been a little while but i don't know if we actually talked about it um the lonely island is going out on tour we did not talk about it, but I did know that. Yes. Yeah, they're, and they're doing an Austin date. So, anyway, um, I do not know whether they'll do it from a boat, uh, <laughs> or yeah, or before a Narnia screening. But yeah. uh, but anyway, yeah, those like those guys are fun, and they'll be uh-huh. playing some dates. It's what do you got? Friend or foe? Oh, uh, they're nice. gonna go out and perform uh, in its entirety. Ostensibly, yeah, in its entirety. And I would I have never seen him or Adam and the Ants. Uh, play so anyhow. also known as the backing band for I Want Candy. Well, uh, Bow Wow Wow uh, shared a percussion yes. section, uh, as far as I know, but we'll get into yeah. all that. Malcolm McClare is in- involved somehow, uh, but yes, friend or foe. All right, uh, from Adam Ant. Amazing, sounds good. Well, until uh, next go around, I'm Kevin, I'm Ryan, I'm Mark. This is Somebody Likes It.